imaginative prayer uses scripture and our God-given imaginations to bring us into the presence of God. The purpose of this practice is not only to hear God's word, but to experience him. Imaginative prayer helps us to visualize a gospel story and worship God as he really is. Let us begin with prayer. Father, you are pleased. In the quiet of this moment, we come before you and sit still in your presence. We silence every distraction and focus our attention to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to hear your truth and experience all that you are. Protect our hearts and minds from things that would distract us from you. Give us clarity and peace. Be with us, we pray. Amen. Take this moment to close your eyes and get in a comfortable position. Now take a moment to take three deep breaths. In your nose. And out your mouth. As you exhale, feel the tension leave your body. Feel the distractions depart. As you inhale, imagine God's love filling your lungs and bringing life to your body. Feel the clarity coming back to your mind. And now hear the word of God. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping in to one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And now, let's go back to that day when Jesus was teaching to a multitude of people. Just imagine 
How many people must there have been in order to force Jesus to get into a boat and teach from the water? Imagine the sights and sounds. How many children were running around? Were there people swimming in the water? Were there people who were angry at Jesus for the crowds he was drawing? Were there other fishermen? People who owned businesses, were they thriving off of the crowds that Jesus was drawing? What kind of relationship would Jesus have to have with Peter in order to just get in his boat? How hard were the fishermen working at cleaning their nets? Now let's talk about Peter. Peter was most likely a successful fisherman. He and his brother Andrew were in a fishing partnership with two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. All four brothers, or two sets of brothers, had been fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. How sad must a sailor be to fish all night as their livelihood and not catch anything? Not only is Rome an oppressive regime that if they caught a surplus, they would take the extra money away from the fishermen, but now they don't have anything. What's the disposition of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who rely on catching fish to provide for their families? And now Jesus walks up to... Peter. He's already in his boat. And he's already teaching from the water. And then after he teaches, he turns to Peter, who he calls Simon. And he says, I want you to put out into deep water again. Just imagine for this moment what's going on in Peter's mind. He's the business owner. He's the subject matter expert. Jesus, from what they know, is a carpenter. Probably didn't work with wood, but he worked with masonry, but far from a fisherman. What's the look on Peter's face when Jesus says, you know what, I want you to put out into deep water and let down the nets. Nighttime was the time to fish. It's now daytime. In Peter's mind as a fisherman, is he thinking, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. You might know scripture, you might know carpentry, but you don't know anything about fishing. What has to happen in Peter's heart for him to actually do what Jesus says? to put the nets back into the boat that he had just been cleaning and to pull up anchor and to put out into deep water. Peter must have felt insulted, but he humbled himself anyway. 
Imagine what they're thinking as all four paddle out to deep water. Is everybody on board with Jesus' plan? What are the brothers thinking about Peter, who decides to put the nets back into the water that all four had been using and cleaning? Now, put yourself in Simon's boat. The water is calm. And then all of a sudden, splashing. And then all of a sudden, fish start to violently fill the nets. So much that Simon and Andrew need to call their partners in the other boat to come and help. What do the people see from the shore? The thousands of people. Can they see this miraculous catch? Is Simon and Andrew, are they rejoicing so loud that they're drawing attention from the shore? From all accounts, Simon had been following Jesus for some time, perhaps upwards of one year, scholars tell us. Andrew, Peter's brother, had originally introduced him to Jesus, saying, We have found the Messiah. Peter then became one of Jesus' first followers. We're not certain what kind of Messiah Andrew and Simon thought Jesus to be. Perhaps a powerful military leader sent from God to drive out the Romans. But now, Simon saw clearly that Jesus was not simply a teacher or a prophet or a military liberator. He saw that Jesus was Lord. We can't miss this important point. As Jesus' identity was more clearly revealed in Simon's mind and experience, his identity began to be transformed. When Simon saw Jesus more clearly, he knew he was standing before the Holy One, the Mashiach, the Messiah, which provoked a deep-felt confession. Because when he saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. From this point, Jesus tells Peter, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. He tells him, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. Just for a moment, imagine the type of fishing nets the disciples use. Was it the type of fishing rods that we would use today? One single line, one fish per catch. Or were they massive nets meant to catch multitudes of fish at the same time. Think about what the image going through Simon's mind is. From now on, catching tons of men, fishing for people, 
it's important to note that Jesus didn't leave him with his identity of sinner. Though that's a humbling, crucial first step in Peter's confession in this process of transformation. Instead, Jesus enlists Simon as a partner in the ministry of seeking lost souls. And that is why he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. I will make you a fisher of men. This marked a radical reevaluation of Peter's own self-understanding and his future because from that moment on they had this conviction to pull their boats up on the shore drop their nets to leave everything and follow him imagine what type of decision this was for Simon to leave his livelihood, to leave what he knows best. As a successful business owner, for him to leave the business and lead the others, his partners in this business, to a life of following Jesus. How did Andrew react? James and John, who were cleaning their nets with their father, Zebedee. What was their father's reaction when both of his sons, probably the most helpful in that boat, what's his reaction to the sons dropping their nets and following Jesus? Now imagine what this means for you. Do we have to go through an interior upheaval and receive a new identity when we come into a relationship with Jesus? In light of Jesus' power and goodness, Simon could only see himself as a sinner, even though he had been a religious man. But Jesus' eyes saw Simon as a new person. A transformation had begun even though Simon would allow his own self-centeredness to take over so that he opposed and even abandoned Jesus in the end. The real source of transformation came from the way Jesus viewed Simon as a new man, a fisher of men, and a rock. Later on he would give Simon the nickname Peter, which meant rock. We can become so overwhelmed with our personal sins and failures or with our deep hateful thoughts and vile imaginations that we see ourselves only as sinners. But God views us differently. God views us as his beloved children, spiritually reborn into a new identity. The process has begun and he will not let us remain the same. From God's perspective, we are changed people. We are new creatures in Christ. It is so important for us to see ourselves from the divine perspective, 
the starting point of transformation is the recognition that we are God's children. That is the starting point for everything we will become, the roles that we will carry out in life, the hurts and the failures that we will overcome, the accomplishments that we will achieve. Some people get stuck in their awareness of sin, so they live feeling weak, defective, and ashamed. Sinners saved by grace, they call themselves. But Paul never wrote his letters to sinners. He wrote his letters to the saints. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Philippians. From Paul's perspective, a saint was not an elite category of Christian. A saint is a person whom God has set apart from all the other creatures in the world to love as his child. When we choose to follow Christ, that is the normal way God views us. Toward the end of his life, Peter impressed this point upon the new believers to whom he writes a forceful letter of encouragement. In 1 Peter 1, 23, in chapter 2 and verse 9, he says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. May we always view ourselves the way God views us. And may we always find our identity in how Jesus sees us rather than how we feel about ourselves as sinners. May we find our identity as children of God and fishers of people.